three, two, one. Welcome to Circuit and Gear, podcast about scenic automation and other cool tech. I'm Cody. I'm Christian. I'm Harry. And I'm Mike. Welcome to Machine. Uh, and today we have a, a special guest, Bo Bogave. Welcome to the show, bud. Hey, guys. So Bo is a new, uh, well, I guess I say new, but it's uh, you've been with the company for a little while now. I started August 1st. So a couple months. Yeah. It's a yeah. whole new year now. A whole new year. Same old me. Yeah. And you come to us by way of the road, uh, yeah. <laughs> as I understand it. Uh, that um, is a correct you're... understanding, sir. All right. <laughs> I uh, I toured for seven years or so, um, uh, with one short tour after the pandemic, but all of the, all of it primarily prior to the pandemic. And then uh, most recently, before I started this job, my wife and I were doing the van life thing together um, for about a year and a half. And then uh, I saw this job posting and got in touch with Gareth. And here nice. I am, all the, way, all the way in sunny Rhode Island, all the way up. Well, it's not been sunny recently, but yeah, up here. <laughs> that's why we say it uh sorry late to the late to the trip here you'll get it you'll get it you're new yet <laughs> yeah i'll take that so when you were touring what were you doing primarily yeah sure so uh i am a carpenter roots kind of guy um i five of the seven tours i was on i was the head carpenter for so it's like the mm-hmm. management position uh in charge of all of the tech aspects of the show as well as the head of the carpentry department and then um and then the other two i was either a flyman or an automation carp oh nice uh so yeah um cats in 2019 was my first foray into like real automation stuff Mm -hmm. when i was um Mm. responsible for the foy trust that we had for some flying effects in that production yeah um yeah so that's Troika? Yes, correct. It was Troika. So uh, oh. I've I've worked for Networks uh, presentations and for Troika, uh, multiple tours with each of them. But Cats was certainly Troika. Oh, cool. Yeah. We worked on some stuff for that, that Cats same tour, I think, Troika? right? Yeah. The... It is. Yeah. yeah so that... I made a surprise visit to Orlando for that tour. <laughs> no. Different my, one? Different one. Oh. So Cats is actually still out, and mm-hmm. my brother-in-law is now doing the automation, which is like a extending bridge effect. That's ground mounted, mm-hmm. and that's how the cat goes to cat heaven now on the bridge instead of on the foy truss. But uh, yeah, so it's same producer, still Troika, but they, it's a much, it's a different tier. There's all these different tiers in touring and stuff, and it's a different tier. Everyone's getting, there's just different circumstances for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, but the automation on the cat's tour I was on uh, was the foy stuff, but then there's also a tire that is a friction drive forward yeah. and up and down stage, and then it also has a scissor lift in it. Yeah, that was us. Yeah. That's what we did. Yeah. Yeah, so during our tech in Providence, actually, uh, in January, lovely time of year, and uh, Sunny Rhode Island. Yeah, Sunny Rhode Island. Gareth came out to give us a new controller because the one that came with the set was like, I don't know, 12 years old and Mm -hmm. very not great. And uh, I – that was – the second time I met Gareth, uh, the first time had been on a train on the way to Proof Productions back in like 2015, and we just happened to like both connect to them. Train. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we were both going to look at scenic crap, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, being a young, earnest, eager young lad, started talking to him because automation 
blew my mind back then. It still pretty much does. But, you know, I like once I started talking to him, I was like, this is so cool. Tell me more. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, okay, buddy. Cool, cool your jets. <laughs> and then, and then uh, here we are, what, seven years later, and I'm working for him. So small world, theater. It all started on a train. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was going to look at a scenic train, actually. That day as well. <laughs> There's so many layers here. I'm I'm like an onion. That's cool. So uh before the touring world, like how did you get into uh into theater and entertainment? Yeah, so um I don't know what drove it because no one in my family is really theatrical. Uh or wasn't, I guess at the time is the more appropriate thing to say. My brother is a singer now, so that's not entirely true. But um in middle school I was kinda interested and I like took like an inner production theater course and it was lots of theater games and I thought it was pretty cool and I did that and then in high school I got like properly involved in in our high school's theater department and um uh, my middle school did have an incredible wood shop program so I did a lot mm-hmm. of carpentry and stuff there and then when I got into high school and I was actually building sets I was like oh I, I love this stuff like tools make sense to my brain and then um and then I found out that performing didn't make sense to my brain in college, and that's when I <laughs> full switched to uh, to doing just the turning wrenches and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, yeah, more so, tools, less feelings. Yeah, and that's that's something I think everyone should get behind. <laughs> <laughs> more tools and less feelings. But um, yeah, so let's see. That was like a year, two years into college, I made the proper switch. But uh, fortunately for me. Uh, I went to a liberal arts school, Christopher Newport University down in Virginia, and uh, we were already I had already been exposed to like technical elements as a part of my mm-hmm. core curriculum, and I had a great time with that. And uh, my future mentor at the time had already kind of seen a knack f- for technical elements in me and given me some jobs that don't typically go to the performers parts of the uh, department. And then when I made the switch, I had a long conversation with her, and she helped guide me and. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah. And then um, my first, after I graduated, I lived in Nashville for a year working at the Nashville Children's Theater. Mm. Um, just, and that was all produced, built in house, um, pretty basic sets, like very cool stuff, but no, no automation or anything mm-hmm. for what we were doing. But uh, it gave me a stronger foundation of like set building and all that. And then I got on the road the following fall and toured for like we've already discussed yeah. for a while. And here we are. So you started touring as the carpenter, as a carpenter. How did you make that switch to uh, automation? Was it uh, purposeful or was it a voluntold kind of a thing? Uh, it's a little bit of column A, a little column B. So I was uh, the flyman for my first tour. And uh, so that's like in charge of all the rigging and mm-hmm. hanging the drops and all that crap. And then that's usually a fairly natural progression into being a head carpenter. So then I was okay. head carpenter for two tours three tours after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of Color Purple, uh, which was my third tour as head carpenter, um, we were discussing myself and a friend of mine, Dave Birch, who is the TD for Troika. Okay. We're talking about what him and I would do the following year. And uh, he said, well, why don't you take a year off of being a head carp? And I got, you can be the deck cart, or you can be the flyman, or you can be the automation carp mm-hmm. on the Cats tour. And I was like, well, I'd super want to do FOI, and I got to back up a little bit. He mm-hmm. didn't say automation at first. He just said FOI. So okay. I thought I was going to be pulling ropes, which is one of my favorite things to do. Gotcha. And then he's like, oh, no, it's automated. And I was like, oh, well, that's different. But, yeah, let's <laughs> let's do it. Like, let's get on it. And, um, yeah, so it was 
I was very excited to to learn some mm-hmm. new stuff and and to like engage in like uh, performer flying and that sort of thing. But it was um, not an idea on my own. But I had been interested in automation since the beginning of touring and stuff, and I just hadn't had the opportunity to encounter it. That's that's kind of cool coming in from the perspective of like you. There was an effect, and you you were excited about making the effect happen, and it kind of was different from what you had in- initially anticipated. But that was ultimately something that you kind of gravitated towards yeah yeah it was it was definitely like a funny moment in the conversation because i was just like sweet you know i get to swing a performer around on some ropes like Mm -hmm. the the children's theater had done that with a performance like the year before i was there so i was like you know like oh i just just missed missed it it. and then i was like yes i finally get to and it's like oh no you're just pressing go (laughs) very very carefully (laughs) um but there's so much more to that go button than you think there was and is so <laughs> it was a it was a pretty steep learning curve um yeah how'd that go uh my first loadout um the way that the structure works is like they sent me out for training at the foy uh warehouse or whatever mm-hmm. about six weeks before we loaded in and then i had a foy guy um his name's ryan he, he's actually local to providence as well these days um he came to tech to like train us up and program the cues and everything mm-hmm. and adjust harnesses for performers and make sure everything was copacetic. Mm-hmm. And then for the loadout, I was by myself with a piece of paper with a bunch of check boxes to do. And uh, <laughs> if you're not familiar with the Foy truss, it is a folding four piece, 50 foot long stick of truss that all the wire rope stays essentially reeved through. Okay. So there's lots of pinch points, lots of like, very carefully slowly folding it and like mm. yelling at locals to back up and then i only want two people working with me no you don't know what you're talking about this is very uh-huh. like you know <laughs> so um they have a piece in that truss called a compensator that allows the horizontal movement without changing the the vertical altitude okay and <laughs> i totally snapped that in my first <laughs> loadout and uh that loadout took 12 hours um starting at 10 p.m so that was not a super fun night slash morning. And uh, and then fortunately we were only going from here to Hartford. So um, I called Ryan at like the three in the morning when I actually broke the piece. Mm-hmm. And they were able to grab a replacement from their warehouse down in Philly. And he met us up in Hartford with that. And we were able to switch it all over without negatively affecting our load in. Since at the beginning of tours, they generally pad mm-hmm. your time to load in quite a bit. Because they to, know you're still learning. Yeah, and and everyone's mm-hmm. still learning. Like, like everyone on that tour was starting from zero. Okay, essentially, like n- there was one person who had toured with cats like eight years prior, mm-hmm. but it was a different set, different show. So like everybody had yeah the same learning curve. Mine was just super steep with a very like yeah lots of bits and pieces piece of equipment. But then it got better <laughs> eventually. It did. I <laughs> managed to. Not break the trust anymore after that. Nice. So, yeah, that was good. Right. It's a win. Just a just a couple uh, tight butthole moments, but but no actual <laughs> negative effects. <laughs> no need to change the pants. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pants. I was wearing my brown pants, but they were not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> they came the way they left. <laughs> yes, with no additional odor. But yeah, so that was uh, what I do very much appreciate about the. The Foy mantra is that the performer safety is such 
an integral aspect of their company. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, that really set a great foundation for me moving forward with, uh, the following tours I went on had much more minor automation, but I think that level of, uh, adherence to safety standards Mm -hmm. and, and care and concern about it and knowing that it's a machine and not just something that can be changed willy nilly Mm -hmm. helped me help build a great foundation for me to tour automation successfully and And carry through. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's an interesting, like, this, the learning curve has got to be pretty dramatic. But then, like, once you've gotten to, like, performer flying level automation standards, then, like, you know, then you're, in most cases, backing down from there. Uh, like, like, oh, it's a deck winch. But, like, at least if you go in with, like, the care and thought of, like, a background with performer flying, then you're, like, you know, know what matters and what doesn't matter. But also, like, you're still starting with a pretty high uh, ceiling of, like, respect for the machinery and stuff so that's that's pretty cool yeah i absolutely i absolutely agree and it also kind of covered all the different bits and pieces that make up a general automated system in one mm-hmm. fell swoop rather than like this go button makes the scissor lift go up and you spin this knob to make it faster whereas like right it had cues and you know all the all the bits and pieces that that make a like a flushed out real intricate automation system so yeah it was it was a steep learning curve but i think it kind of really elevated my knowledge and level of skill with all these materials until I got here. And then I saw that I was still very, very green. (laughs) You felt just confident enough. And then that's usually the way it goes. You like, you're like, "Ah, I know this shit. And then like, as soon as you dig like one layer deeper, you're like, Oh, I'm lost. (laughs) Like, Oh God, there's so much. Yeah. I don't know. That's what happened. That is what is happening currently. (laughs) Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. Do you feel, do you feel like now, you know, you've got a little time here at, at Creative Connors. You're starting to know what you don't used to not know. And where, how do you feel about, you know, what you've what you've absorbed in your time a few months in? Uh, I don't think there's been a day that, well, that's not entirely true. There's not been many days where I've left thinking, like, not having learned at least some bit or piece in addition to what I know. And, um, like, like I mentioned earlier, most of my foundation is in carpentry, so gaining more skills about metalworking and like machining stuff like that's been a really cool experience and then just like kind of like having more and more uh detailed models of the machines in my head and kind of Mm. understanding Mm -hmm. all the bits and pieces and like you know i can walk up to the plate shelf and know what the pieces are in most cases these Mm -hmm. days now as opposed to the beginning where it's just like well that's funny shape what is that funny (laughs) shape i don't know like um yeah i'm uh i definitely think my mechanical knowledge of all this stuff has like you know increased many times over i'm still looking to learn a lot more about the q programming and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. because that's been the area where i haven't spent as much time yet Mm -hmm. but in good time i'm certain hopefully get some of that this weekend yeah it's it's going to be great to work with rada because i know he is really good at all that stuff and and he and i get along really well in the couple times we've done on-site stuff prior to this so i'm excited for that Back to performer flying again, too. Yeah, back yeah. to performer flying. Yeah, you're running away, joining the circus uh, with Rada. So touring was my <laughs> runaway and join the circus, and I have left that part of my life behind me. So <laughs> so I will go visit the circus. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> right. um, yeah, because uh, we're recording this now, but th- this evening, right, you're getting on a flight to head out to go on site and do some, that, do some that on-site is stuff. Very correct, yeah. Um, my flight is at... 706 and uh i'm missing our planned stir friday at home so oh, no. oh. 
So Emma's making it instead of me. Emma's my wife, who is also a theatrical person. Um, but uh, yeah, so she gets to cook the, the stir fry tonight, and I'll eat it three hours after eating lunch. So it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> so you did a lot of touring. What was some of the cool stuff you got to do? Some of the coolest uh, facts or, or whatevers? Um, my first tour was very low in effects. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a one-nighter bus and truck tour, so that was like dirtbag living on a tour bus with 11 of your closest coworkers <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, fighting over the, the dressing room showers. Um, but that had very few like technical elements really to it. Oh, okay. Um, but it did like give me you know, all the foundation of loading in and loading out a show. Mm-hmm. Um, my second tour, uh, which was Bullets Over Broadway, there was no like automation or anything on it, but it mm-hmm. had a lot of flying cues and a lot of oh. that kind of thing. So it sort of like grew my, like that was my first show as Head Carpenter also. So it kind of grew my awareness and like understanding of stuff. And then I had more deck cues than I had, had the year previously. And, you know, it's always fun to like nail a deck cue, especially when it's, like a more physical or timed one. So mm. I, I had several different pallets with push sticks that mm-hmm. I was pushing out, you know, because we didn't have a winch or anything mm-hmm. nice like that or push sticks. Literal push sticks, yeah, not literally. like our Yeah, it was box tube. Sticks. It was not. <laughs> and uh, and there's one cue, like I had to, the gangster in the, in the show had to get like pushed out pretty hot mm-hmm. to like appear like when the music stops. And that was usually like, a very fun cue because I like you know get the box tube to flex as I push the thing out and like like oh I'm so strong and like, <laughs> I'm so good at pushing things and uh, and so uh, that was fun as like just having a bit of a busier show to mm-hmm. like manage and, and be in charge of uh-huh. uh, but then for my next two tours into the woods and color purple they neither of them had any cues during the show. But I was the only carpenter on the tour, so I was responsible for all the normal head carpentry things, mm-hmm. but also like properly loading in all of the elements myself instead of mm-hmm. like having my deck carpenter and flyman be managing that. I sort of managed the whole thing. Gotcha. So and, you're so you're always managing a crew of changing locals every venue, and it's just you. And it's it's just me dealing with all the local carpenters, and then I'm still having to field stuff from my other department heads about whatever problems are arising mm-hmm. for that day because there's never nothing, right? Gotcha. Um, so, like, and for example, Color Purple, I did the first national of the revival as the carpenter only on it. Mm-hmm. And then when they put it out as a one-nighter tour, they actually added a carpenter, and Dave Birch again promised to never send out a single carpenter on a show again. But he <laughs> likes to brag about my ability to have done that. So, like, that was, you know, very unique in as far as like the grand scheme of how tours typically work but then cats came around got the automation uh that was awesome to learn and then the show after cats was charlie and the chocolate factory and that was the uh, second national tour Mm -hmm. so the first thing they cut is all the automation but they want all the same effects gotcha manimate style Uh so uh that was a very busy deck track for me and that was fun because i was like hitting those cues again Mm -hmm. and running around and keeping track of everything um, and then pandemic mm-hmm. and then Grinch had a little bit of automation, pretty, pretty busy deck track. And so, you know, it, it's after having two tours where I did pretty much nothing once the show was actually up, it was nice to like get to do stuff again. Yeah. Be moving during the show and be contributing to the onstage spectacle, if you will, if you want to pine a little romantic about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, soft, soft hands folks in the office rarely get to contribute physically to the show. But I do miss that sometimes. It's, it's nice. Man, that the first night uh, that we opened Grinch after the pandemic, that was my first foray back into working post-pandemic. It was pretty dope, pretty awesome hearing the applause again. And like the energy was pretty fantastic. I don't even know when the last time I was at a theater backstage for an opening night. That was a long time ago. That must be <laughs> must be pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, it is when the show goes well. Sure. We we had some uh, audio issues uh, on Color Purple when we opened in Atlanta, which was like our very early in the tour, mm-hmm. and uh, the show was sold at like ninety eight or ninety nine percent capacity for every single oh. performance for that week. Wow! And so there was some heartache after that first show didn't go that well, <laughs> and then they couldn't move people's tickets because everything was sold out. Uh, however, the rest of the run went great, so it was it was all good. But uh-huh. yeah, opening nights can be really great. Or really not so great. And on tour, you have a whole lot of opening nights to to uh, figure out which one you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> Is that? Uh, would you say that was kind of up there in terms of like the worst on the road experience you've had, or any any others that, that jump to mind, or great ones, uh, either or, like that particularly stand out? Um, well, that was for me. That was like in the moment, not horrendous because also like backstage i couldn't tell that we were having those issues and it was more like mm-hmm. afterwards the yeah. audience was like fussed about it and stuff and then it affected the way that like the tour was managed from that point forward and that was a bit annoying for mm-hmm. me like mm-hmm. to deal with but like as far as the middle of the show kind of what we were talking about earlier harry when i was in cincinnati with cats the city of cincinnati had a power blip and i can't remember if a transformer blew up somewhere around or whatever but every bit of electricity in the theater was gone for a few moments while my performer was in the air oh, uh, and no. in the middle of the queue. So um, it was such a quick like power blip though that my FOI queue system didn't have to reset. Okay. And I was able to complete the queue and lower the performer without having to like manually, manually lower them. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was another brown pants moment for sure. Like, like I oh God. <laughs> yeah. The screen blipped and everything, and I was like, oh, no, this is going to take, like, 20 minutes to reboot. And fortunately, it did not because, you know, I, I don't know how many of y'all have sat in harnesses for extended periods of time, but it's never considered the most comfortable way to, to spend your time. And my our lead of Cats was doing that during that time. So That probably means it was towards the end of the show, though. It was, <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, because yeah, that's... <laughs> like Grizabella last... yeah. is going to heaven, cat heaven, and... uh she almost didn't make it. <laughs> she almost went to the other place. But we got her there. Well, I guess it, like closest similarity to purgatory, just sitting in a harness. <laughs> cat, cat purgatory? I don't know. Oh, my God. I just realized you had to hear cats that many times for that long. Get to. Ooh. Yeah, so um, for better or for worse, my capacity to remember lyrics is very low okay and so i just have the tune stuck in my head all the time whereas my Mm. wife can remember every single word that's ever said in a show and so together we almost make a full brain but uh but yeah I, i heard cats more times than i ever need to and because of the sound designer on that um we got to listen to uh steely dan babylon sister every single load in for what seemed like hours while they tuned the room because that is what uh, 
Uh, Mick Potter. Yeah, Mick Potter. That's what he makes all of his sound people use to tune the rooms for shows is Babylon Sister by Steely Dan. So, yeah. That was probably more traumatizing than the Cats musical. (laughs) (laughs) I did did, uh, Cats in high school, and I heard it a lot. And then I just, you know, purged it from my memory as best I could. Uh, And then when I was working at Hudson, we did it on Broadway. So I was on site doing the operator training and there through all of tech. And it was amazing how like, you're just like, I was sitting there and then it started up and I was like, Oh my God, I know every word to this musical. <laughs> like I have a pretty high propensity to remember lyrics. And I was just like, ah, uh-huh, jellical songs for jellical cats, jellical songs, jellical songs for jellical cats. Uh-huh, right, uh-huh. To be, to be clear, I do remember those lyrics, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the rum tug tugger, rum tum tugger is a curious cat. We don't have to recite them all. I know like all that. <laughs> yeah. and it was shocking to me in that moment to find out that that was still occupying some corner of my brain and I can't get it back. It's, it's taken a great, forever. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great image in my head, Cody, of you backstage, like rocking out to singing along. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's a little bit free whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all know how cats is perceived by different folks across the across the <laughs> world and it is it is a thing man i'm like kind of glad i'm definitely glad to have been a part of it for like who i met and all of that stuff and you know it is a show that even the most non-musical theater person has heard of mm-hmm. which is like you know like oh i do like broadway tours so what's that it's like cats oh yeah 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 i get that like, uh, makes it easy to explain yeah mm-hmm. as much as you know as much as you can explain to non-industry folks like what it is our jobs are in any of the capacity. But yeah, I mean, it's just when you spend, when you're with a production and you hear the same music, the same songs, it's like it becomes background noise, but then like someone chops a note or something or you hear something funny and it's like you can be paying the least amount of attention it is possible to pay to what's going on in that Uh moment. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, whoa, what's that? Something's different. What's off here? Like (laughs) Something's wrong. Something's messed up. Or like, you know, or if an understudy or a cover goes on and it's like, why does this sound so different today? Oh, it's because it's like, it's not that dude, it's this guy or whatever else. But yeah, I, there's probably a lot of my brain that was sacrificed to musical theater that I don't get to have back either, Cody. So Yeah. Actually, that's a, that, that's a good uh, point you kind of get at. Like you, you kind of have that eye for, I mean, you've, been, you've just seen a lot more shows than any of us have. Uh I'm curious as like with, you know, we're always coming at it from the automation perspective, like what does good automation look like to you? Like what, what is the thing that, you know, you're like, oh, that was a good effect or, oh, that was, that felt off or was forced or something. Yeah. So for me, like, I, th- I think great automation rears its pretty little head when I see an effect and I can't fathom how a human could have done it. So like when you, when the automation is actually like, doing things that humans can't easily replicate or do that always is very impressive to me. Like um, I saw Moulin Rouge on Broadway, which Mm -hmm. is chocked full of automation and just the, there's a lot of like very slim built scenery that's like lives upstage. And then it one eighties and does all this other stuff out of sight. And it's just whole new scene changes. And like, I, you know, I remember just thinking like, this is some dope automation because I like, it couldn't fit otherwise, or like you mm-hmm. could, you can't have the stagehands fit backstage with all the other stuff going on. Because um, for those of you out there who don't know, Broadway stagehouses are tiny compared to like what roadhouses, theaters, and stuff are. So 
especially having come from the road. And uh, a f- couple of friends of ours were working on Moulin Rouge, so they took us backstage. And I was like, oh, there's like, there's no space here. And everything is filled <laughs> with machinery or, you know, winch lines or whatever else. And so when when the effect is like smooth and seamless and you don't hear like stagehands cursing backstage as they bump into each other, like, <laughs> I, you know, that, that always like super impresses me. And like, that's, that's kind of what I think is, is like a really successful automation thing is when it, when it goes beyond just replacing a human moving something and, and it mm-hmm. does something more. I think that's what gets my, gets me jazzed. Cool. Well, that brings us to our next segment, uh, the, the hard hitting questions. Bring them on. Let's the, go. Uh, how do you, well, we all, we talked about it a little bit and you weren't here to defend your wrong answers. So, <laughs> so we'll now open the question back up. How do you name the four post left? What do you name the four posts? Of like, all right, are we talking in? Let's assume that it's like you've got a downstage left, a downstage right, an upstage left, an upstage right post. Like it's cardinal directions to a stage. Then that is how I would name them. Oh, okay. Sorry. Leading, leading the witness. Leading Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was, I was asking if you're like asking how, how we name them when they're like packed up in a corner or like if they're in place in place and if they're in place i would always go to stage directions because that is what stagehands use but which one would be like number one yeah if you had to give numbers or letters but here's a choice well i think i'd like to use uh roman numerals and <laughs> arabic numerals as well as the greek alphabet and the american alphabet so everything can be like one a alpha cover your bases yeah i get it one and roman whatever that is i well i, I didn't know how it's pronounced but oh I. Sure, why not? There's no one here to defend that either. So. Right. <laughs> a wild belt and suspenders approach. I like yeah. it. Great. So yeah, let's just go with I. So it'd be I, 1, A, and Alpha are the four posts that I choose to name. Sure. Because <laughs> you don't want to like make one think it's better than the other. You know, like the, when people have like 1 and A. Like I would, I would cut a quarter inch off of the one that I want to be the worst. Okay. And mm. then do like some dumb scratches in the other ones and just like very, very like institutional knowledge based gotcha. ways of remembering it that just sure. confounds and pisses people off. <laughs> I think that's, right. that's, that's my goal. Oh, perfect. Perfect. That's, yeah. That's how you keep yourself indispensable. Yeah, exactly. Don't forget that shim. <laughs> Which one? Oh, you'll know <laughs> or you won't. It's the special the gaff tape shim. That's labeled, don't fucking throw it away. <laughs> oh, it got thrown away? Here, let me just grab another one and tape it up. It'll be fine. But, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I think I would say one should be downstage left. Okay. And, and we'll say two, like, going clockwise. Okay. I have no reason for that. I'm just picking. Well, clockwise <laughs> is the correct answer. So. Yeah, clockwise is definitely the correct path. <laughs> I, thank you, guys. I'm so happy to hear this. <laughs> I can tell you're firming with validation. for zigzag. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just very rarely told I was right in this new job. So like f- hearing that every once in a while is nice, you know, boost my confidence back up a little bit to have Mike shatter it again. When he tells me all I can hear is buzzing noises when I speak. You know, like- <laughs> I think, you, I think a strong case could be made for downstage left, downstage, right, upstage, left, upstage, right. Yeah. It's okay to be wrong. Yeah. I'm just that- saying. No, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but upstage left is actually upstage right. <laughs> Just to keep my test. Anyway. What? Huh? Now, are these in their proper orientation or when they're upside down? Because I think that's worth noting as well. Oh. We can specify Z axis. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. 
And this is the sort of information I need to answer honestly. Well, I guess the original question was for post lift, so down? I don't think that answered your question. I don't know. That <laughs> sentence that sentence left me more confused than when you started. <laughs> You were talking four post lifts, so bicycle? Like I what <laughs> have you formed an opinion on uh belts or chains yet? Uh I don't know. Belts for pants, chains for wallets, yeah. <laughs> I can't disagree with Cody on this one. I'm gonna... Uh chains are greasy, belts aren't. I mean, that's that's about as much opinion as I have on that. But I'm generally kinda I'm not quite Adrian, but I do have grease on my hands most days at work, so (laughs) what's a little more going to do? At the shop, there's the long-standing debate between Weera or Weeha for hand tools. Do you Have you formed an opinion, or are you just still cool with whatever someone hands you? Uh, So I was given a the Weera baby socket kit for Christmas Mm -hmm. because I asked for it because I had kept borrowing Gareth's many many times over mm-hmm. the course of the fall and uh, i very very much like that um i can't say whether it's better than we or not because i do not have any of those tools nor have i really touched them very much but uh they're both nice i'm <laughs> tour we don't have nice tools we like dewalt is everything which i like dewalt fine don't mm-hmm. get me wrong but hand tools are like ordered from mcmaster car and then counted as expendables because they get stolen or walk away quite frequently so they, they don't buy the good stuff. So you don't want the nice stuff. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I mean, mm. I may have accidentally liberated a gear wrench 916 wrench because, you know, that's that's the other thing. On tour, you only ever use quarter-inch, three-eighths, or half-inch hardware. And if it's something other than that, it's wrong. So, you know, the opportunity to need niche specialized tools is, is lower. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a 516 bolt. <laughs> yeah, that's like I said, that's wrong. That's the yeah, devil side. making a shot for it. <laughs> I, I mean, you might as well just be getting metric hardware at that point. It's, yeah. it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just opened up a drawing for a thing we made a few years back, and it's got a bunch of 516s hardware all over it. And I was like, what? What happened? <laughs> How did this happen? And I was like, who did this? And then I looked at the title block, and I was so disappointed. Was it you? It was me. and i was like i there must have been a reason because there's no there's no chance i would have done it on purpose well you know what they say don't compare yourself to others compare yourself to your past and you've clearly progressed if you now disdain 516 so that's good (laughs) let's stay positive yeah except it was acceptance the first stage of grief or something Yeah. yeah sure why not yeah well, I mean, your your hand is forced with that eighty twenty stuff. I gotta say, I haven't recently done that. We did, made some new production benches. Well, I didn't make oh, anything. True. I, I drew them, but yeah, it's unfortunate. Oh yeah, I didn't. Brian uh, took care of all the eighty twenty crap. I didn't actually have to do that, I, but um, <laughs> I only welded the first two benches, and they did not have any five sixteenths hardware because welding typically doesn't. <laughs> I think it was thirty thou wire. If that, if we care about, <laughs> stack up ten of those and what? Sure, yeah, yeah. I think I mean the eighty twenty stuff gets tough, and then just whenever the interaction between like any big main piece of hardware, like a slewing ring or something like that, you're like, oh, five sixteenths uh, hole through that. <laughs> Why? Uh, 
M seven and a half. Why? Why? <laughs> oh, this is but this is a good. This segues well into your touring experience. What? Okay, aside from bolt sizes, what other things? Um, us us folks who don't tour as much, like what are, what things make a successful tour, like technically wise and technical decisions, and then also what things make you unhappy. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a touring little aphorism there, but I didn't um, quite nail it. Yeah, so like consistency in hardware uh is like a pretty major one like if you know scenery is not jammed into the tight spaces that automation machines have so there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to like pad something to like allow for consistent hardware or whatever else compared to like our machines which that's not always an option Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so like but ideally you don't have to turn wrenches very much at all on a set construction. Like there's so many products out there between like the Staco clamps or, mm-hmm. or just pinning things or, or, you know, good old fast fashioned pin hinges. And that's kind of thing that like the ease of assembly and disassembly and, and it being constructed to where it's hard to lose stuff is really important because when you're moving once a week or more than that, if you're on a bus and truck, like you set something down a quarter of a theater and then someone sweeps it up or whatever else, like it's, there's, an art to like keeping track of your hardware from city to city and the mm-hmm. less hardware you actually have to keep track of typically the easier it is to keep track of right like that's pretty relative the best hardware is no hardware but yeah totally and like um when when it's all just clamps or whatever else and like lots of uh like i don't know like mortise not mortise and tenon, but you know like coffin lock style or something. coffin locks or whatever, whatever yeah. else where you're when you're not physically removing or adding any hardware it's like there's so many different products out there to allow for that it's people being cheap when it's not done like that and and then in the grander scheme of things like staffing it correctly and and keeping the tour built to the time that it is like set to have to load in and load out and and like what its schedule is because my most frequent complaint on tour is like different management positions above the tour crew don't hold design to the criteria that the tour is meant to be built around. And so, so you then, mean like if it's like a one night, one night stops and it's got way too much scenery for exactly. you to get in and out reasonably. Yeah. Right or like, you know, back to cats, we had all this garbage set dressing that's supposed to look like garbage and pretty much <laughs> is. <laughs> and like during tech, we were stapling more pieces of vacuum form to the set that we were then supposed to repeat and like reproduce and whatever. So like, uh, like the whole goal of tour is that you do the same thing everywhere. Right. Or mm-hmm. like you, you put it back together the same, you take it apart the same. And it's like very clear and easy to do all of those things. So like when you're doing a lot of artisanal set decorating to appease a creative that you then also ultimately know is not going to make it past the first three stops. Like it's a little silly. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, mostly like a lot of the like the companies I've worked for on tour, they are typically in a position where they're trying to court designers because they're trying to bring the big designers to work on the tour, so it has that notoriety. Okay. And then they don't want to tell them no about anything. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden you have like a ridiculous sound system that has a eight thousand different speakers you have to hang up around the theater every day. But oh, you can't have any more locals to do that. So it just ends up being like, okay, tour crew, you just get to work harder. And like, that's not very fun for anybody. 
about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I th- I'm. It's pretty exciting for us to have you on the team now because, like, a lot of us, like Harry alluded, have soft keyboard <laughs> driving hands and not a lot of um of that experience of loading shows in and out. And so, like, you know, a lot of the stuff will sell like a product and it's, you know, a CapEx purchase for someone and it's just going to come in off a pallet and then sit there until their next show. And and that's totally fine. But then when we get into these like more custom gigs and things, it's like pretty awesome to have someone on the floor that's like, yeah, 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 no, like that shit can't be on a pallet. It's got to go on a cart because like you can't roll up to the show to unload it and be like, all right, now get your three pallet jacks because like that's just 100%. Like, not the way shows work. And sometimes there's been probably a little bit of the you know we kill it on the manufacturing side and then whenever we go to do the show load-ins it's like this totally like foreign thing and it's hard to impress upon sometimes back to the shop of like no no this matters like hey hey, hey that's got to matter and so it's pretty sweet to like get some of those chops in the shop like it's a it's a huge win for us to like have someone like you know we can teach automation because we all know and love automation but there's like this like institutional level of knowledge that you have that we just don't you know that's what you think have in our background (laughs) (laughs) well you've you've sold it like we believed it hook line hook line and sphincter (laughs) back to those brown pants it's a it's a theme well thanks cody thanks for saying that i'm i am like super stoked to be here because um Regardless, actually, regardless of the pandemic, Emma and I had been planning on retiring from touring. Um, I don't know if I said this, but she and I met on our first tour and then did oh. all of the rest of them together, except for my Christmas tour post-pandemic, because mm. she took care of the van and the dog. But um, yeah, so we had been planning on retiring, and I was just I was looking for a job where I got to do some fabrication, because that's always been something I loved, and I wanted to continue to grow my knowledge uh, of just like theatrical crap mm-hmm. and getting into a shop that's built automation is just like a everyone is trying to put shows out with more automation these days and so it's kind of the four of theater technology which i'm stoked to be a part of now and to be learning and to like you know who knows where we're going to be in, in a few years but like just the all the education that i'm gaining while i'm just working here is, is i was really stoked when i saw the job posting and when gareth got back to me and like you can go ask Emma about me freaking out about it because it, it was pretty dope. So so thanks for being glad that I'm here because I'm very glad to be here. Yeah. And you've got a great dog too. So like, you know, that's pluses. So Dogs are great. Dogs are the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I made it past the point of when I would have immaturely gotten a dog like in college or whatever. And then I was on the road and I was responsible enough to not do it. But, you know, I wanted one since oh. forever. And then when Em and I did the van and our dog Charlie showed up while we were like building out the camper portion of it, I was like, okay, great. Yeah, we're adults now. We can do this. Like, And uh, Charlie is a great little doggo. I love that. You're like, yeah, I got to do it responsibly. So we're in this van, right? And we got room for a third, right? <laughs> Charlie's yeah. only 30 pounds. So uh, if she had been 32, yeah, not, you know, not making the cut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just... Think about the miles per gallon of the hit, right? Oh, yeah. I don't even want to consider it. <laughs> Especially since my truck that is not a giant van gets less miles per gallon than my van did fully loaded. So <laughs> <laughs> how? So you've been up in Rhode Island now for, I don't know, six-ish months. Like, how's, uh, how's Rhode Island treating you? I know it's cold right now. Sunny. 
How's the, <laughs> how's the settling? Uh, it's good. Uh, um, so I'm from Virginia originally, so East Coast vibes still. Um, and uh, my Emma and I love to go exploring in nature and stuff. I mean, maybe obviously since we did the whole camper van thing, mm-hmm. but um, going down to like Tiverton and Little Compton area and like those sort of regions of the state remind me a lot of Tidewater, Virginia area, which is like my grandparents used to live off okay. the water there. So uh, it's sentimental to me to like go out there, and I I just love being by the water. I'm a huge fisherman, and um, I didn't do any of that when we moved here, really because we were concentrating on getting our house settled into. But I'm very excited for it to get actually sunny again, so I can go fishing and enjoy being in such a maritime place. And then on top of that, uh, since we teched cats here, I have a pretty good relationship with the local union folks mm-hmm. and I've been able to work with them and they've pretty much welcomed me into the, into their local. So that's, that's been cool to actually still be able to get into a theater some and do rigging and whatever else. So yeah, Rhode Island street is pretty good. The whole packy store thing is a little weird though. Like, <laughs> like I'm used to just buying beer in the grocery store and that is not a thing around here, which is kind mm-hmm. of funny. It's its own separate special trip. Yeah. But you know, I guess that's uh new England for you. Um, so, so Bo, you know, in the, you, you kind of fell into this, you know, as a touring carpenter, do you have any, do you have any words of wisdom for, you know, aspiring technic technicians, managers about, you know, how to get into, how to get into the field or, or anything that, uh, you know, tricks and techniques for making, making magic happen on stage? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, uh, Theater, as well as many other industries, is a lot about networking, and it is a small industry. And so the more you can do, like, say, in college to, like, go to USITT or SETC or all the different job fairs and stuff and, and actually meet people in person or or if you can get involved in the local union or local theater technician stuff to, like, start forming a network and start meeting people and start – like just seeing how stuff is done even is like a, is a huge important step. And then, um, you know, another big thing is like, is like just following up with people after you've reached out or sent a resume or whatever else to try and get a new job. You really, sometimes it really just does take following up because everyone's busy doing everything in theater. And so like taking the time to just follow up and being polite and just, you know, trying to present your, a professional good version of yourself that you can, that people would like to be around and like to work with. And then, you know, also just knowing your shit, like that's an important part of it too. Cause was it, they say like, you can be an asshole if you're really good at stuff. I disagree with that, but you can be an asshole if you're really good or you can be really nice and not that great. And people still enjoy working with you. I just think everybody should be nice. I don't like dealing with assholes. Like, it's not very fun, but, uh, so yeah, don't be an asshole. That's another good one for, <laughs> for sage advice. <laughs> and uh, as far as like getting into the more nitty gritty stuff, like you just have to, you got to go for it. Like it took, I had a long conversation with my production manager on my first tour about automation because I was very interested in it. And then I chose to go after being a head carpenter rather than trying to find a, a job with automation. But like, you know, that was still something always on my mind. I was still talking to people about it. I was still, going for it. And it took a while to, to get to where I am now an automation person, I suppose. But 
you know, like you just, you got to really go for it. No one's going to hand it to you. You got to, you got to try. Sometimes you got to try really, really hard. Yeah. I think that's a great, I mean, I think that's a great, uh, that's some great advice, you know, getting, getting in there. How do you learn those things, right? You're taking a leap to try it and hopefully somebody's going to be there to help you make it happen. Right. Um, and most of the time I think there are people to make that happen. I don't know what your, what your thoughts on that are, you know, uh, I totally agree, friends. Mike, because you, you helped me remember the other thing I was going to say is like so many people in theater, A, love to talk about what they do and how they got there. But like, you know, when you're a touring stagehand, most of the folks you're working with are at like 20 years your senior and have been doing theater at least that long. And they most stagehands, in my experience, want people to do things the good way or the right right way or whatever else. And so if you're receptive to input from people who have been doing it longer, also you can learn some really cool trick, tips and tricks and, you know, just talking to older folks in the industry, especially when you can frame those conversations as just having a conversation rather than like an attempt to get a foot in the door for a job per se. But when you can just talk to people who have been in the industry about like, their views on the industry and how they got to where they did and just kind of try and learn from those above us. Cause most of this knowledge has been handed down. So, you know, it's important to embrace that and then to also try and help encourage the younger folks to, to talk to people and to learn and to reach out. And, you know, the, the knowledge is there and most people want to share it. Do you have any, uh, do you have any piece of tips or tricks that you're particularly fond of that you know you've you've gathered from those conversations with elders or other compatriots yeah um like back to this the biggest one is like just don't be a dick like (laughs) if just be nice to folks and that that makes everyone's day go so much easier um as far as like touring and stuff like that just a lot of it is like the more organized you can be is better and I'm not a super organized person generally, but like when I'm advancing shows, which is all the communication between myself and the venue to figure out like how we're going to fit our show into their space. You just like need to be very clear with everything and, and like talking to your crew, you need to just shove information down everyone's throat until they can't claim to have not seen it or not heard about it. <laughs> and so like, communi- like communication, it's all kind of basic stuff that goes to a lot of other things, but it's like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like actual stagehand tricks that were that were pretty slick. I remember I was bringing an angle grinder onto stage to cut a bolt one time, and the head carpenter was like, "You're not making sparks out here." I was like, "Well, then how am I supposed to cut it?" And he took a C wrench and just broke the bolt off at the threads, like right past the nut. I thought oh, that kind of stuck with me. I was like, "Oh, dude, this guy's so f- smart. Damn, like <laughs> <laughs> this guy's so yeah. strong, That's smart." Unrelated, that bolt never came undone again. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> You just had the opportunity. You got to leave a little. Yeah, for you the had next the opportunity guy. for the grinder on the loading dock, then, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, um, like what sort of tip or trick do you want to know about? Like, what's your favorite knot? My favorite knot is bowling, um, and that's what I think. If anyone out there is an aspiring stagehand, make sure you know how to tie a bowling and a clove hitch, if nothing else. You got and your shoes. Oh, those are the. That's also important. Yeah. yeah. Never, never tie a drop up with anything other than a shoelace knot because other things are wrong. But have you considered if you don't know the knot, you can just tie a lot? Uh, I have considered that, and I do say that very often. 
uh, in jest. <laughs> but please don't tour with me if you're going to do that. <laughs> no, see, like, so I'm not a real yeller or voice raiser, but if someone ties a double knot on a drop, I that's when I usually get very frustrated because it's like a very simple thing that everyone should know. Do not tie a double knot on a drop. Also, don't undo things that you haven't been told to do. Like the whole touring local stagehand mantra is that like, what I say to everyone is, I will never fuss at you for asking me a question, but if you do shit without talking to me, yeah, I'm going to be frustrated whether it's right or wrong, but if it's wrong, I'll be extra frustrated because I said, don't do anything without asking if that's the right way to do it first. And so, like, I flew down to Louisiana earlier this year to help out the Grinch tour get off for the weekend, and there was a local there who was pulling up all this safety marking tape that we had put down during tech to, like, so the actors knew where the drops were coming in and stuff. Mm-hmm. I told her to stop, and then she said, no, no, it's fine. It's just tape. I was like, no, you are making us have to work more on the next load, and you need to stop. And then she just kept pulling tape up, and it's like, it's not that serious. And I'm like, you need to stop what you're doing right now. I am telling you specifically, stop that. Like, that's not okay. But, uh, you know, people. <laughs> <laughs> some listen and some don't. But I, I think what you were saying about the just, yeah, Emphasizing that I uh, be nice, be a be a ni- nice coworker is uh, really resonates with me. That was that was always my mantra when I started and as a stagehand in New York and really didn't know anything. Mike can attest to this; he knew me back then. Uh, it was just show up on time, be nice, try to take instruction well. Punctuality is supremely important as a stagehand. Like I, that is one of my core values: is like being on time or at least communicating. Like, if you're not going to be. Yeah, it's like what I tell every road crew I've had is like everyone's late every once in a while. I just need to know if you're going to be late, and I won't be mad. I'll just like we'll just make sure it doesn't happen again. But if you don't tell me and you're two minutes late, that really frustrates me because I try to make it supremely clear, like be on time or tell me if something else is going on. But it's life; shit happens, you know. Right, like Christian is not technically late every day. Never am I late because <laughs> I'm we don't always have, on time. We don't have a starting time. <laughs> Work starts when I get here, so I'm always on time. <laughs> Software engineers arrive precisely when they mean to. Yeah, like Gandalf. <laughs> Which, you know, to to highlight this personality trait of mine is like, I was told the shop opens at 8.30, so I'm here at 8.20 every day at, at the latest. Like, that's just, that's just what I do. I'm a pretty like, Union-y, punch-in, punch-out kind of guy. So, Me too. Me and Christian are very much the same in that. I also do real good at computers. Um, I use a hammer to hit my keyboard, and uh, it's worked well for me so far. You get uh, more keystrokes that way. It's been great. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I think... Go for it. Hmm? We were going to say the same thing, so go for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, what were you going to say? I think we hit the bottom of our list. That was all of our uh, questions. Is this our outro? I think we hit the bottom (laughs) of our list. Bye. Christian's Christian's pretty emphatic that we need to come up with an outro. That was you. I'll... I'll play the clip. I'll roll the clip. He's pretty emphatic I'll roll the clip. that I said that we need to come up with an outro. Yeah, please refer back to that moment in the last episode. Hopefully you were recording. I think it was after the fact. Damn it. Well, we talked about it after the podcast. I was drunk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I think we. I think you did great. This was good. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Now you have more time for Stir Friday. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Emma's still going to cook it, though. Which... 
That's about it. I, I really love cooking. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Is... The record light up. is still he on. He said this is recording. Be cool. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I don't have anything to respond. My, my other hobby is cooking besides fishing. And so this was a new recipe idea I had for today being Friday and stir Friday. But uh, Emma gets to break it in. So I'm sure it'll be great. She's She's... A fine cook as well. Um, I just didn't. She she's more of the baker, and I'm more of the cook person in mm. our family. Oh yeah, and Christian, insert this earlier when we were talking about the reasons we're excited to have Bo in the shop. The hot sauce game has just really been elevated to another level. Oh right, because you make you make it right. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I've made uh, two types of hot sauce so far. Our neighbor Bob in Pawtucket is an amazing neighbor, and uh, his late wife had uh, turned their yard into this really awesome garden and um he keeps up in, in memory of her but he grows ghost peppers and so one day there was like a baggie full of ghost peppers on our step and i was like what kind of peppers are these? and he goes hot peppers and it took like three weeks to actually figure <laughs> out that they were ghost peppers because he just like kept saying they were hot peppers and then he finally told me what they were but uh yeah i like um there's a hot sauce out of portland called uh secret aardvark that my cousin turned me on to. And so I modeled a hot sauce after that, that Harry has thoroughly enjoyed. And I, I think it's delicious as well, but Harry, I think likes hot sauce even more than I do, which is a tall, uh, tiered meat. I attack the shit out of my GI system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so I did that one and, um, we're actually just now running out of that at the shop. Um, I think I have a little bit more in my freezer. I'll probably bring in, but then um, the other yes. week, I was trying to make some slow-roasted pork shoulder for tacos, and I wanted to marinate it in, like, chipotle flavoring mm. stuff. So I got a can, of, a whole can of chipotle peppers and blended it up and added, like, all the other marinade stuff I, I wanted to with it and then tasted it and found that it was not a marinade but yet a hot sauce. So I uh, mm. put a bunch of that aside, gave Harry a, a good portion of it, and then used much less to actually marinate the meat because it was very spicy. It's been very good on tacos. Yeah. And nachos and whatnot. But yeah, hot sauce. Yeah, that hot sauce is super good. <laughs> um, so hopefully this uh, spring or summer, Bob is going to grow some more peppers that can make some more because it, it's fun. It's fun to make hot sauce. It's like, it's not some. It's not a recipe I've really tried before. Like I've done salsa and other mm-hmm. types of things, but yeah, hot sauce is cool. I want to try fermenting some next time. Ooh, moldy sauce. Yeah, don't really know how, but I would like to try it. It's just like automation. You just kind of, just kind of go for it. And worst thing that can happen is someone dies. <laughs> it's probably going to be me. Probably Harry, yeah. <laughs> Certainly that bad. Or, or whoever follows him into the restroom. That's, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> real. Whoever's in <laughs> Gets to be. Oh, are we going to talk about the spotline <laughs> testing again now? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. <laughs> we really cool. I feel like we had like six false endings now. Okay, bye. <laughs> it's like uh, Lord of the Rings. Christian, do you do you think in there there's an outro that is served? <laughs> or do you want me to speak words? Right there. We're perfect now. We got it all. <laughs> this will be great. <laughs> did you, I, I like the idea that it's going to be just, Christian, did we get an outro that's service a 